R E A R E A R E A R E A Audio Reemployability. Our guest today is uh, Yashika Williams. She is an attorney, and there's a pretty interesting story as to how you became an attorney. Yashika, you could have been a brain surgeon, right? But now you have all those degrees and books behind you. What got you into the field of law? I will tell you, Todd, that even as a very young child, um, I, I would say probably four or five years old, initially I wanted to be a teacher. My mom was a teacher. And I just, you know, most little girls want to be just like their moms. Um, they want to be spoiled by, that, by their dads, but they want to be just like their moms. And so my mom thought, you could be a teacher, but I want you to do something more. What do you want to do? And I said, I want, I want to help people. And so she said, well, you should either be a lawyer or you should be a doctor. And even as a young child, I was always very squeamish. So I knew uh, the medical field was out of, <laughs> out of my right, right. And so I focused on becoming a lawyer. And so everything that I did from being very young, um, through high school, going to a legal magnet program, doing pre-law in college at Bernal University Women's College and entering law school, um, everything has been focused on becoming a lawyer, being an advocate. And that's one of the, my favorite parts about um, practicing workers' compensation right now is that I'm able to advocate for injured workers and my my um, employers uh, really at the same time. Well, that's interesting that you say that because um, you wouldn't think that you'd be able to do that both at the same time. How do you manage being able to look out for injured workers and being able to defend employers? Sure. So when you think about Florida workers' compensation, it was established to be a self-executing system, right? They, employees really shouldn't need lawyers to get involved in order for them to go to the doctor or receive lost wages. And so the system is really set up for the um, employee to operate individually without legal representation. Of course, in there are many instances where an employee may want to benefit that they're not entitled to or the employee may want to benefit that the employer doesn't think they should have. Mm -hmm. And so that's where your lawyer comes into play. Mm -hmm. And as an insurance defense attorney, I'm able to look at the case, look at the law and tell my client, actually, this person has some work restrictions. We're unable to accommodate them. You haven't signed them up with tra uh, transition to work through reemployability. We have to pay them, right? right. And so um, that's how I'm able to advocate for the injured worker, because if you look at yourself, there's really no way most of us could survive and care for our families without being paid for four to six weeks, right? That'd be a huge stretch on anybody's um, lifestyle. But at the same time, if I have some work restrictions that say this person is released to full duty, they can work, we've offered them a job and they haven't come back or they have restrictions that we can accommodate, then I can you know, honestly tell my client, we should fight this. The case law is on our side. It supports us um, denying entitlement to lost wages because they are voluntarily limiting their income. Mm -hmm. And so I get to wear the white hat and the black hat on every case. Well, it, you know, it almost sounds to me like the difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Um, I, I feel like sometimes uh, that's why lawyers get a bad rap is because, you know, they're focused on the letter and not so much the spirit. It sounds like you're kind of embracing, embracing what's right. Thank you. Sort of related to that question, um, I recently saw a webinar um, that was about defending and mitigating perceived 
or subjective injuries. And those are things like um, uh, CRPS, which is chronic regional pain syndrome, um, PTSD, which I'm sure everyone's familiar with, post-traumatic stress disorder, and PCS, which is uh, post-concussion syndrome. Um, so that might be difficult because those aren't like, it's not like I got a broken arm, right? It's not like something that you can see as far as an injury goes. Um, how prevalent are those claims and have you had much experience with them? Very prevalent. I'll tell you, I have two claims on my desk right now where the injured workers have been diagnosed with CRPS. Um, very significant injuries. One is a, a crush injury to the foot. And so you, you get those claims and you have a person you have one doctor that sees this injured worker and they think, oh, this person is clearly exaggerating. I've already fixed the foot. It's fine from an orthopedic, right, functional standpoint, mechanical standpoint. But they're still complaining about sensitivity and pain that you really can't see um, on the objective findings, be it the MRI or the, the CT scans that you do. And then that claimant gets to another doctor and that doctor says, whoa, this skin is shiny. This person has some discoloration. The temperature of the right foot is, is colder or hotter than the temperature of the left foot. Um, it's hypersensitive in this area. And they're, they're doing some different kinds of tests that can lead to the diagnosis of CRPS. I'm seeing that quite a bit. Um, it's difficult though to diagnose initially because there's so many factors that you have to take into consideration. Mm -hmm. Well, what, what, so what sort of questions do you get from your employer clients um, when they're faced with someone who um, maybe they feel is exaggerating and maybe in reality they're not? Sometimes you'll get questions like, well, the doctor said they're fine, or it didn't seem like that bad of an injury to me. Right. How does this turn into that? This, it doesn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense because when we look at injuries, we think of things physical, broken bones, a broken back, um, an injured or dislocated hip or knee. We're looking at something that's very tangible. Mm -hmm. but when you have a person who has a complex regional pain syndrome, those diagnoses um, and objective findings aren't always that tangible. It really requires a physician who is experienced in that area of practice to really be able to identify those conditions. Um, I would say that field case management is really important when you have those crush type injuries or you have people who've had to have multiple surgeries on the same body part. Um, I have a hand injury that's resulted um, in CRPS and it's really just very difficult. Is there anything that um, risk uh, managers or safety people or even HR people in uh, employers right now, um, are there any actionable steps that they can put into place now so that they're better prepa prepared for this type of claim? I will, just to be honest, I would say no. Okay. Let me tell you why, because they're very rare. It's very rare that you'll find somebody who has CRPS. Out of 150 claims, there's I have two. Mm -hmm. So it's very rare. I would say um, when you have those instances where you feel like a person is malingering or the pain complaints are just not adding up, if you don't have a nurse on the file, I would say get a nurse. For me, a nurse provides a certain level of expertise that I don't have, regardless of how many years I've been uh, practicing in workers' compensation. They come with a nursing degree. They've seen a lot rely on them 
if for nothing more than um, their level of expertise, you can ask them questions, rely on them to give you some of the information and they're right there with the doctor. Um, usually my nurses will identify the CRPS before the doctors do. Mm. Yeah, and they have a bit more compassion, maybe. Yeah. I mean, nothing against doctors. Just uh, I, it, it, I think there is a there's a different level in the training. It's just it's just a different approach that a nurse has. So so that's that's a great point. You, you talked um, a, a lot about uh, CRPS. Have you had any experience with uh, PTS uh, PTSD or PCS at all? I have. Um, those are also very tricky. Mm -hmm. um, Let's talk about the CPS, right? Mm -hmm. The PCS, I'm sorry, the post concussion. Mm -hmm. um, a person's complaining about headaches. How do you know they're having a headache? How bad is the headache? You really can't quantify that. Um, that also requires a certain level of expertise with your neurosurgeon or your neurologist who is evaluating the claim and, and performing some very specialized tests. It's not just a um, CT scan, that's not going to be enough. Um, and, and being willing to authorize some of those tests that you don't see very often for you to find out whether there is more that's happening inside the head, right? Um, because that is completely subjective. There's no way for you to know if they're having headaches or how bad the headaches are, if they're having blurry vision. But there are a lot of tests out there that will evaluate a person for post-concussive disorder. And for PTSD, I'm seeing such an uptick in those claims right now. Is that due to COVID? I think it's partly due to COVID. You know, I will tell you, being isolated at home, I think it creates its own set of, of, of pressures and issues that injured workers normally wouldn't have to experience if they're out in the world, so to say. Mm -hmm. um, you're finding that definitely more now than I have in the past. But the statute is really clear. It's, it's, Florida Statute 440.093 is really specific about what um, constitutes a compensable PTSD claim. Um, it has to either result directly from the injury, it has to occur simultaneously with the injury. So there are very specific guidelines that um, judges have when they're awarding benefits based on a diagnosis of PTSD. And so I would encourage um, the risk manager to get with your lawyer and really go through with the doctor, why do you feel like this is related to the work injury and have the doctor walk you through it, comparing that with the case law, it'll be very helpful. Well, it sounds like overall, um, the message is don't blow it off. Um, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there and you should acquire the resources to pursue um, getting to the truth of what's going on because uh, it, it's a, those are real things, right? Absolutely. I think that's that's just a great way to sum it up. Don't blow it off. Yeah. Because if you just listen a little bit, have just a little bit more compassion. I try to put myself in the shoes of the injured worker and say, what if this were my mom or my uncle or my brother who were still having these pain complaints? Wouldn't you want one more visit or one more test just to make sure everything is okay? That doesn't mean that there aren't people who are pushing it mm -hmm. that are exaggerating yeah. because that exists as well. Um, but it's worth, it's worth one more test. It's worth one more visit, in my opinion. Yashika, thanks for being with us uh, for this episode. You'll be back with us next week. We're going to talk about some uh, specific stories, which is always fun. We all want to hear about uh, some of your favorite uh, stories working as an attorney in the workers' comp world. So we're looking forward to that next week. Thanks so much. Thank you. See you soon. 
Next week, we'll wrap up our series with Yashika when she shares some real stories about some client successes she's had, successes that have benefited all parties involved. Happy endings are awesome, right? If you have any comments or suggestions for an upcoming episode, please, please, please email me at todd at reemployability.com. Also, please subscribe to REA Audio on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts so you can get these episodes automatically sent to you each week. You can also check out more content, including webinars, at listentorea.com. Subscribe. Come on, just do it. We'll be forever grateful. Have an awesome week.